I am blessed to be here. I will tell you guys, Nick and I are so blessed to have you all. Honestly, when Pastor Larry first asked me to preach, I was talking to God because I don't like preaching if I don't have something to say. That's never a good idea. <laughs> and I said, the spiritual age of this church is a lot higher than in a lot of churches, and I am so grateful for that. But I said, what am I supposed to bring them? And I was standing right over here because Pastor Larry asked me again and again. <laughs> so it was during worship a few weeks ago, and I was asking God again, what do you want me to say? I can't say anything new to these guys. He said, it's okay, just remind them. So this might not be much that's new, but sometimes it's those basic foundational things that are life-changing, and we need to remind ourselves of them. It's easy to forget those simple things for some reason. I don't know why that is, but let me remind you about a few things today. I'm excited for this. Will you pray with me? Lord God, this time is yours. This place is yours. I ask you to use it however you want. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Have your way completely. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, you guys, we are in an Assemblies of God church, and so if I'm going to remind you about something, what we get to talk about, at least in part today, is the four core beliefs in the Assemblies of God. You know what they are already? I bet you do. <laughs> the first one definitely is foundational, salvation. And we already went through the whole book of Romans recently, so I don't even have all that much to add to it. But will you go with me first just to Romans chapter 1? I want to read verses 19 and 20 to you. I put so many notes in my Bible that I'm not going to be able to find it. So verses 19 and 20. What may be known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made, so that no person has an excuse. God has made it plain. I like to make things plain because I've been a children's pastor and I've been a chaplain, so I work with soldiers and they're just big kids. I like to simplify because <laughs> that's what works best, I've found. So when I'm talking about salvation, I try to make it as clear as I can. And I don't know if you've been in the church for 80 years or eight minutes, but let me just remind you, when we say God is holy, we mean something really important. We mean he is clean, he is pure, he is good 100%. But we've all chosen to sin. Everyone has chosen to sin. Jesus is the only one who is sinless. When we chose to sin, it's like you're walking through the mud or just diving into the mud, covering yourself with dirt and building a wall between that holy God and you. Because how many of you know if your mom mopped the floor when you were growing up and she just finished and you walk through the dirt and try to come inside, she's not going to let you come into that clean space with your dirty shoes. We can't come into the presence of a holy God in our sinfulness. That's what is so foundational. That's what makes all the difference, that Jesus was willing to take on that dirt and kick down that wall so that we can come into the presence of a holy God again. 
he made a way for us to have salvation, and it is a free gift. We don't earn it. Praise God. Yeah? Praise God. There's nothing we could do to earn it. Salvation is free. But the Christian life does have a cost, right? Yeah. There's more to it. We don't just leave it there. We want to be washed in the blood. We want to come into the presence of a holy God. We want to continue living for him. Jesus tells us that we have to pick up the cross and follow him. The Christian life has a cost. But we know that that's not the end. We know that there's something else coming, which is the second core belief. The second coming of Jesus Christ which again, I'm really grateful that I don't have to talk about because we've done recently, because let me tell you, <laughs> I've heard so many arguments on the same verses telling different points of view. I've heard so many things, and it's easy to make arguments about the whole thing. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for you, and he's bringing a new heaven. He's bringing a new earth. This should be exciting. Jesus is coming back. Praise God. We are not carrying that cross alone, and we know what the end is going to be. And as we carry that cross, we have a promise. The next core belief is divine healing. That's who Jesus is. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals us. And no, it doesn't always look like what we want it to, right? I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of my testimony, which starts out really exciting. So before I was even born, my parents were told I had such a severe form of spina bifida. The chances of me living was 0.3%. They said if I lived, I was going to have such mental and physical problems. My life would be miserable. My parents' lives would be miserable. Everyone around who had to take care of me wouldn't be able to handle it. And so the best thing, according to the doctors, was abortion. But God is a healer, and my parents, praise the Lord, knew that. And they went home, and they prayed and asked God for healing. And they claimed Daniel chapter 3. They said... We know you're able, but even if you don't, we're still going to worship you. And praise God, when I was born, not a single thing those doctors talked about was true. God had healed me completely. Praise God. He is a healer. He has healing. And it's not always what we look, like, what we look for, what we want. Fast forward to... 20 years later when I was at the doctor and I heard a very similar report and I was told to go home and just prepare for a miscarriage because there was no hope. That happened several times and each time I went home and I asked God for healing and I told him, I know who you are. I know you can heal me. Please heal me. Even if you don't, I'll still worship you. But I know who you are. And God still has not given me the healing that I'm hoping for. But I know that he hasn't changed. Amen? He is still God. He is still the healer. There is more to the story. My story isn't over. And I don't know what God wants here. But I know that he's got something better. 
I know that I can trust him in it. I know that he's got a promise here. James chapter 5 talks about prayer. In verse 14 it says, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he's sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your prayers are powerful and effective. God hears you. And no, he may not always answer you right when you want him to, but he promises every single time he hears you. He's not leaving you there alone. We can trust his promises. We just prayed for healing, right? And there's time you don't have to wait until next week if you want to be prayed for again. We can pray for you again today. We can pray for you more. That's why we're here. We're a family. We want to pray for each other. There's one more core belief. And you might think that I'm going through this really fast and we're going to be done really soon. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to talk about this one a little bit longer (laughs) just to warn you. I was so excited about this when God was telling me what to talk about because I didn't know we were about to start this Holy Spirit sermon. The last core doctrine is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited for what God is going to do. I don't know what he's going to do, but I think it's going to be good. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist says that Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? And then in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind and fire. There's something about fire that helps us learn about the Holy Spirit. There's so many cool things. We can always dig deeper into the Bible and find more. Do it. (laughs) So what does fire do? It gives warmth, right? It gives comfort. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. That's one of the names we call him. It gives heat. When it's a winter day and you're cold, you want some heat, right? It helps us survive. It cooks the food so that we can have sustenance. Fire gives light to see. The Holy Spirit guides us. Even a little fire in a dark place lights up everything, right? Have you ever been at a bonfire and people don't just come and sit around it. There's something about fire that just draws people. I don't know quite what it is, but it's fascinating. It's almost mesmerizing. Like, we have to sit with the center as the fire. (laughs) We can't go over here. We have to see the fire. Everyone gets drawn in by that warmth and that comfort and, and that camaraderie and that feeling. Whatever it is, it gets drawn in. The Holy Spirit draws us. Fire also destroys. It can be dangerous, but it cleanses in that purification, in that even in the destroying, it'll purify. It'll get out what isn't worthy. There's one more thing that fire does. Any of you ever studied what a a steam engine does or how it works? Even a little fire can create so much power just by 
harnessing all the steam that comes from that fire, those little particles that you can't even see build up so much pressure bouncing back and forth that they can make a piston move, that can make a wheel move, that can make a train that is tons and tons of pounds literally across miles of distance. One little fire, if we let God build a fire in us, if we let him move how he wants to move, he can do much bigger things than we could do by ourselves. That pressure brings power. Here's another truth. The Holy Spirit is for today, and the Holy Spirit is for you. In Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, Peter is preaching, and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He doesn't put any stipulations on this. The Holy Spirit is for you. If you've gotten to know God at all, don't you see he wants you to get to know him? He wants you to have more of him. He's an infinite God. There is more of him that he wants in your life. There is more of the Holy Spirit for you. You can have been in church for 80 years. There's still more for you. God wants more in your life and through your life. He wants to give you more of himself. The Holy Spirit is for you. And the Holy Spirit does already indwell believers. We do believe we have the Holy Spirit when we get saved, right? But we also know, we see the evidence. Read Acts 19. Just read the whole Bible. We see there's more. We see that there's a new infilling. There's a fresh, powerful something more that God wants to give his people. There is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Think about that word baptism. When you're immersed under the water, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit above your head, there's so much. It's overflowing. It's got to spring out somewhere. It's got to go to the people around you because there's so much Holy Spirit. He needs to be seen. Let's allow him to do that in our lives and flow out of our lives to the people around us. There is more of him for you. And I want you to know that God will not give someone who's sincerely seeking him a counterfeit experience. People get so worried about this little thing. But we know who God is, right? He says he's a good father. And if a good earthly father can give a good gift, if his kid asks for some food, he's not just going to give him a snake, right? He's going to give him some food so he can grow, so he can get strong, so he can be satisfied. God is a whole lot better than any earthly father. And he wants to give you good things. He's not going to trick you. He's not that kind of God. He wants more for you, and he's not going to hold back just to, to draw you on or to trick you. If you're sincerely seeking him, he's going to give you more of himself. There's something about expectancy and openness to the Holy Spirit that helps facilitate his coming. There's almost like not words for it. 
it's hard to explain sometimes. But we do see the opposite. When, we, when we're not willing for God to move, or when we're wanting to do the opposite of what God wants, we shut it down, right? If he's a fire, it's like taking all the oxygen out of the room. That fire dies. So what would be an oxygen destroyer spiritually? In Galatians, let's see if I can find it. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. It says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. Sin is an oxygen destroyer. Sin is going to keep that fire from growing in your life. It's going to keep the Holy Spirit from being able to move how he wants to move in your life because you're choosing the sin over him. We've got to remove the sin, the oxygen destroyers out of our lives or the doubt or the stubbornness. I'm going to do it my way. We've got to remove that from our lives so that the Holy Spirit can do what he wants. And we're not saying all the... (laughs) all the crazy things that you're not comfortable with. Sometimes we're not, we don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to bring, right? But if it's of God, we can trust it. And we do want to be careful. We need to make sure that this thing is from God, that we're not just making things up. But if it is from God, we want whatever the Holy Spirit is going to bring us. So expectancy and openness help to facilitate the Holy Spirit coming The starting place is praise. And this is so cool. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament. Have you ever studied names in the Old Testament? Or the names of Jesus' ancestors in his lineage? There's so much meaning to be found there. You can always dig deeper and find so much more. Because God is infinite. If you go to Numbers chapter 2, in verses 3 and 9 especially, it explains how when Israel was in the wilderness and they were just camping here and there and they had to move whenever the cloud by day or the fire by night moved, right? They had to be ready to move whenever God wanted them to move. Those verses explain all the rules about how they had to do everything. God was very precise, but there was a reason for it. There's meaning even in those little details. The people that had to move first were the tribe of Judah. Do you know what Judah means? Praise. Judah means praise. Without praise going forward, nothing else could move. If the camp was to follow where God wanted, they had to start with praise. Praise is how we move forward. Judah had a son. He had a couple sons. His firstborn had a very interesting name, Perez. You know what it is, don't you? (laughs) Anyone know what Perez means? It means breakthrough. That means breakthrough follows praise. That means in order to have breakthrough, you've got to have praise first. (laughs) It means if you want to see these things in your life, you've got to get moving and get that praise going. Even if you're not seeing everything behind yet, breakthroughs on the way whenever it's God's timing but right now our focus needs to be getting that praise going 
praise precedes the breakthrough. We see it in the New Testament too. In the upper room, Luke 24, verses, verse 53, says that the disciples, when they were waiting in Jerusalem, that they were continually at the temple praising God. They were waiting with praise, even for days on end, even when it felt like nothing was happening, even if they wanted to be in Galilee or somewhere else, and they're stuck here. They were waiting in praise. Praise makes a difference. When the the Holy Spirit did descend on them and they started speaking in other tongues, what were they saying? They were saying praises. Acts 2.11, Acts 10.44-46, they were speaking praises to God. They were speaking the wonders of God in languages that they didn't even know. Something happens when we start to praise. Psalm 22 goes farther. It says that the Holy Spirit is enthroned in our praises, that he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we start to praise, we invite the Holy Spirit in. Jack Hayford has got a bunch of great quotes, and I love that you can quote him for me sometimes because I love learning from this really smart theologian. Jack Hayford wrote, the presence of God's kingdom power is directly related to the practice of God's praise. We praise to invite God in. And it's not like we're manipulating him. It's just that we know this is how he works. He has promised this is how he works. And he doesn't ignore his promises. He doesn't forget them. We don't manipulate God. Jack Hayford adds that we align ourselves when we're praising. We align ourselves with the great kingdom truth. His is the power. Ours is the privilege and the responsibility to welcome him into our world. It's a privilege and it's a responsibility. But when we praise, we set that atmosphere. We invite his rule to come, and he is able to come and rule and manifest his kingdom power there. So we're going to do that today. We're going to take some time and praise. Would you, worship team, come up? And would you guys be willing to join us? We want the Holy Spirit to move however he wants to move today. And even if it takes us longer than we want or we're used to, even if it's not a song we've heard before, we want to sing praises to God so that we can let him come in and do whatever he wants to do here. So I invite you all to stand up. I invite you to join me. Let's praise God because he is worthy. Amen.